one day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer at three o'clock in the afternoon. And a man lying from birth was being carried in. People would lay him daily at the gate of the temple, called the Beautiful Gate, so that he could ask for alms from those entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked them for alms. Peter looked intently at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Stand up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Jumping up, he stood and began to walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. All the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized him as the one who used to sit and ask for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's Portico, utterly astonished. When Peter saw it, he addressed the people. You Israelites, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we had made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our ancestors has glorified his servant Jesus, whom you handed over and rejected in the presence of Pilate, though he had decided to release him. But you rejected the holy and righteous one and asked to have a murderer given to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses, and by faith in his name, his name itself has made this man strong, whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has given him this perfect health in the presence of all of you. And now, friends, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. In this way, God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets that his Messiah would suffer. Repent, therefore, and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. The word of God for the world. I've heard some good news. How about you? We've heard good news. Amen. Thank you. The sermon has been preached. Amazing grace. The good news is that though we have sinned, we fall short, we miss the point, we are ultimately lame. We are healed. I wrote down the line, Todd, that you sang so beautifully. He looked beyond my faults and saw my need. Thanks be to God. This morning, for those of you who are guests with us on occasion, we have conversational sermons. And to create a little cognitive dissonance, we create a space that you can be active participants in the belief that we speak the truth to one another that the proclamation of God doesn't just belong to one person. And so this morning, we enter into that sacred space 
where we act the true Baptist belief that we are priesthood of believers, priests to one another. And so I will offer some thoughts, but I'm offer also some questions in which I hope you will engage. And we will pass the microphone around in hopes that we can hear one another a little better today than our last time at this. But this is a great story. In fact, this story is not in the lectionary. And so I've been here five years in July, and I decided this Pentecost, this too moving sort of sweep past it, to go into the lectionary text. And so we've entered into Acts, and now we've done four weeks today, and now we're in Acts 3, and we're going to be moving forward. But Acts 3, this piece about Peter and John is not in the lectionary. So I go back through actually now seven years of preaching, and I'm like, I've never preached this text. <laughs> and, and therefore, I have nothing to draw from or uh, experience of commentaries. But I do have one thing to draw from. Peter and John went to pray. They met a lame man on the way. He stuck out his palm and asked for an almond. This is what Peter did say. You know this? <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Lazarus, rise up and walk. He went walking and leaping and praising God, walking and leaping and praising God. In the name of Jesus Christ of Lazarus, rise up and walk. Okay, so this is, this is powerful stuff that we know in our canon because we put words to song. And I love this story and put to words, of course, it's that King James English such as I have, give I thee, in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. There's this great little story about, um, according to Cornelius the Lapid, that Thomas Aquinas once called on Pope Innocent II when Pope Innocent was counting out a large sum of money. He says, you see, Thomas, said the Pope, the church can no longer say silver and gold have I none. True, Holy Father, was Thomas's reply. Neither can she say, rise up and walk. I start with this sort of indictment on the church and us because I feel that sometimes we forget and to not live into the power that Jesus gives us. We've sanitized the gospel. And this morning, upon hearing in word and in song, you might have noticed that Holy Spirit moving about, did you not? Sort of reminding us of the true story, the really real. I love this story because it's indicting to me because here is this lame man and we learn in one chapter later in Acts 4 that he's a little over 40, 40-something. 40 so for 40-something years, he's been carried to the out, 
outside of the temple where he's asked for alms, for money. For 40-something years, people, good people, have walked past him, going through religious rite and religious motion. And his deepest need was looked past. I love this story because it's indicting because perhaps he was never seen as a soul or looked into his very eyes and the text spins great detail saying how Peter and John looked at him. <coughs> it's indicting because I remember when I've told you that being in India some years ago, there's a lot of people crippled, lame, disfigured, beggars, children, and they come at you in hordes. And I'm embarrassed to say that when you don't want to stop and pay attention, the thing you do is try not to see them, to look them at the eye. You, you try to look down, not catch their attention. And so the text goes to great efforts to say that Peter and John looked him in the eye and told him to look at them. It's a great reversal. This guy, by the way, is being carried. There's this sort of tense in the Greek that he's not actually there yet, but he's on his way. He's being carried. And yet they intentionally tell them to look them in the eye. And then it's wonderful because, as Bob said in his prayer, he was just asking for money. He just wanted money. That's what he expected. And just think if Peter and John had only given him what he wanted. In this moment, Peter and John, looking into his very eyes, say, silver and gold have I none. But what I have, I have something better. I have something deeper. I have this amazing grace well that's not empty. And it's for you. And I love what happens. He's healed, but he doesn't just praise Peter and John. He praises this Jesus. He goes walking and leaping and praising who? God, not Peter and John. And so there's this existential change at the moment the lame man encounters this healing. Something happens. Something real. It's one thing to know about Jesus and perhaps during the Passion Week he had heard or wanted to get near him. We don't know. But something happens not in the knowledge about him, not in even money given to him, all which are good things, but in the moment in which he experiences the really real power of Jesus Christ. Recently, I had an opportunity, and don't worry, I'm getting to a question for you, so... Recently, I had an opportunity to see 
a performance of C.S. Lewis on stage. It's a one-man show by Tom Key, the guy that wrote and acted the Cotton Patch Gospel, which many of us saw last year. Tom Key, he's an actor, artistic director. And after performing this C.S. Lewis on stage, he did a, a time of question and answers, a talkback time, kind of like deeper. And he did this monologue that was fabulous. And he talked about what sort of the traction with C.S. Lewis, what really draws him. And he used a quote from a, a novel that he felt that would really be parallel to C.S. Lewis affinities from the novel Goldfinch, which I haven't read. But in that novel, there's this line that the main character says, he found solace where despair struck pure otherness and created something sublime. It's this beautiful phrase where despair struck pure otherness. That there was this encounter with otherness and something changed, something powerful happened. Something sublime. Like a healing. Like a miracle. Like transformation. Like the inner well that you thought was dry was running with living water. And so my question, my first question for us is we encounter this power in the story and in our lives. My question is this. If God has indeed saved us in the sense of healing, of forgiveness, that looking beyond our faults when we maybe were just asking for money, he saw our need. He saw more of what we needed and gave us grace. How does that change us? Has Jesus become real to us in a different way? Or, if we're not walking and leaping and praising God, and here it is, what is the lameness in our own life? Because we're all pretty lame. Mm -hmm. 
not a therapist. I'm not against therapists. Consider my mother-in-law a wonderful one. <laughs> but it is the power of meeting God himself. Jesus Christ, as Keller, Jim Keller says, is not a dead teacher, but he's a living Lord. And so our mutual friend has had an encounter with God, has been wowed by God, and, and it wasn't money, it wasn't drugs, it wasn't womanizing, it was, it was an encounter with a God who died for his sins that he did, for die, who died for the sins that was done to him, and he's really humbly remade. And so he's the last person to say to anyone, you're bad because of blah. He'll say, you know what, it wasn't me, it was God who saved me. And this mutual friend of ours is in love with Jesus Christ because he has every reason to be, because what he said is real. I'm afraid of what people would say if I went sleeping and jumping and praising God in the grocery store. I'd be embarrassed, I think, um, embarrassment. I think our own um, pride, our culture, our self-image is my lameness. At least one of them. Thank you. I won't say that I do it, but how about the thinking that we can do it ourselves without you? Yeah. Mm. I won't say that I do it. <laughs> I don't want to be thought of as the TV evangelist. I want to be separate, more sophisticated than that group. rational ways of how to fix someone, how to help them walk or get what they need other than prayer or something magical. Thank you. And that's a great point to launch from. This great sense of wanting to be rational Logical to be appeared as reasonable, not erratic, crazy, or as Paul would say, fools for Christ. The gospel is good news because, in my understanding, it's an encounter with otherness that's not logical. It's good news because it's a relationship that loves me and sought me and meets a need that is beyond reason. There's no reason to love unconditionally without merit. This is where the gospel breaks open those categories. And it is. And it's, it's hard to, to lean into, even though there are a lot of reasonable ways of explaining our faith. But that word faith is the key word in this text today. In Acts 3, in Acts 2, the word says, because you have faith in his name, this happened. 
And it's hard to tell if it's the faith of the man or the faith of Peter and John, but it's this faith, this believing in the unseen, believing in the invisible realm, believing in a power that is not our own. I think what strikes me the most is with something that Herb said at Free For All, which, again, if you're guests with us, Free For All is a time that we gather early in the week to talk about the upcoming text on Sunday. And Herb said, what this strikes him as is another example of where we tend to focus on the symptoms of people instead of the disease. The crippled man was fine with people fixing symptoms. He was content to have the money, but God was not. He was content to have external circumstances changed. But God does something different. Again, the good news is that God doesn't just address the symptoms of our life, but God comes right at the disease in the heart. Religion oftentimes falls prey to the problem as well. In fact, again, I think it's highlighted that here's this man on the outside of the temple, right? At that threshold where worship is supposed to happen. Because truly what we're describing in this good news message is that when despair meets otherness, there's something sublime happening. This is worship, and yet it's happening right there on the edge of the temple. It's not that surface things don't matter. It's not that external things don't matter. But if we spend a lifetime addressing symptoms and not addressing the core of a problem, the whole of our life is premised around a false God. Because if the core of what we need is the core of the good news, that we need a God of power, bigger than death, Bigger than despair. Bigger than the fragmentation of our culture. And no other thing or person can provide that. But people don't want the power of God. They want the band-aid of God. You know, I think it's a little like, I've got a little Jesus, and I'm done. I got me some Jesus as if they've been shopping. And purchased a little bit of Jesus. Maybe got him on sale. And this is another way that we've commodified Jesus. And we give God a little God time, a little play time on Sunday morning. But that leaping and walking and praising God, where is that during the week? No wonder we say, where is God? We get what we ask for. If God gave us, like the lame man, what he had asked for. 
And so Christ comes to us. And the question, have we commodified Christ and Christ's power? How have we as a church, for this is a question of the church that is supposed to keep speaking with a megaphone, that we have the power to rise up and walk. So the question is, how and where can and do we experience power in Christ's name? How and where do we experience the power of God, the power of Christ, or is Christ still commodified? Agree or disagree? It's a beauty. I think we can recognize that power when we feel peace. Say it again. I think we can recognize the power of God when we feel peace that he gives us. And only he can give us that type of peace. Thank you. I think I've seen God's power at work on Sunday night over here at Cherry Street when uh, we've actually... Uh, leaped a little bit and sung a little bit with the brothers there <laughs> and sisters and uh, but beyond the the giving of the needs the food I think we've seen people's lives changed and that's only God can do that stickiness that we have the otherness kind of goes away and we can kind of open up and be who God intended us to be even if it's by accepting someone else that you wouldn't normally be around or loving someone else because in that act you actually are loving yourself as well okay I just can't be quiet about this one um You've heard me say before, and Andy will probably, uh, we we can agree to disagree. Um, Because I am such an extrovert. And, well, Andy's not. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Um, but, But the power and presence of Christ, I see it in, in relationships. I see it, um... When we reach out to each other, I see it when we are real to each other. When we when we put our defenses aside and we let our vulnerability open up, and I see the power of Christ using each other to to embrace us amidst those vulnerable places. I saw it this morning in Sunday school, um, and. 
I, I uh, it, it's easy for an extrovert, it's easier for me to be by myself than it is to, to really open up and allow the power of Christ to help me and, and heal me in places that I'm not ready to embrace. But that's where the power of Christ is for me with other people. He's everywhere, all the time. Good times, the worst times. I've felt him everywhere. I lately discovered that uh, apparently talk about this with Pastor Julie. As individuals, we are not perfect. But if we act as one body of Christ, we will be perfect. I want to make a point back on the issue of uh, commoditization of God. Um, We had the question about um, not wanting to be a televangelist, uh, but that implies something, I think, which is, um, you know, the notion of someone who's doing things for silver and gold. Um, Of course, we know televangelists, uh, you know, even in this neighborhood, who um, you can feel from not only the power of their message, but the the way they um, uh, approached uh, unsaved uh, people, that they're acting from from good motivations. So it's, it's not that we can put someone in a category, but the reason that uh, Peter uh, and the disciples didn't have silver and gold at that particular moment was uh, the fact that they were giving their silver and gold away to others in the community and that, in that time of uh, inspira- um, inspiration just after the crucifixion of Christ that was their first um, their, their, their first thought but I think that the point's already been made that it is in relationships that we can find our real, um, uh, our real safety, our real security, our real inspiration, and um, and not in silver and gold. Thank you. That's a wonderful segue to into saying that. <laughs> What, the, what Peter and John gave is what they had. They gave what they had. And that's all that God requires of us is to give of what we have. And that we have it. There's this great line about you kill the author of life. What a descriptor for God. The author of life. And we are those who know the author of life, who behold and are beheld by the author of life, called the beloved, experience the good news. This is what we have. Not the silver and gold, but it's this that we have and we have enough of. And it is this in which to go back to Catherine and Lisa's comments about community. I think those are the key 
ways to move forward in this conversation is that it's only in community that we testify about this power, can believe and have faith, and then it spreads, like the early days of the church. In fact, Belinda said at Free For All this great line about in her nursing background, she says, this is what we do as nurses, is we come alongside and say, you can do this. <laughs> You can do this. You can get better. You will get better. And practicing this and walking and, and the physical therapist and the whole team that approach to create wellness. They're the ones championing faith. You can't believe it. You may not see it. For any of you, and there are many of you out there that have had open heart surgeries and other surgeries. You can't even believe that there'd be a time that you can walk again without being out of breath. But it's the community that comes along that says, there will be a time when you can breathe again. When despair won't be the only taste in your mouth. We need each other. So the author of life can reign in power and so that we too, even this day, can go walking and leaping and praising God. Sing it with me. Walking and leaping and praising God in the name of Jesus Christ. As Lazarus, rise up and walk. Of Lazarus, rise up and walk. Amen. May I speak? I didn't get it in. Yeah, this is reflect and respond. Thank so you. You're, you're As I was listening to people in this setting, and this, the, the word relationship came up. Uh, I had no idea this would come to me, but I could not help but thinking about Frank Gear when he first came to our Sunday school class, and he encountered me and some of my heresies. And, and Frank, I can remember saying to me, uh, "You know, I really want to be able to come to Providence and sit in my pew and just enjoy life as it is, and I don't want to do anything else. And life's been good to me at this point, and I just want to be comfortable." And as he, as he began to get involved in our Sunday school class and continue to be involved in everything about this church, that changed. And Frank would be quick to tell you that things changed. When he began to discuss things, he began to tell his stories, he began to argue with me, he began to debate, he began to talk about this gospel. And uh, all of that is around what happened in the community when he got involved in the community.
my money that I want to support the church or money for a trip? Do I value getting mad at a politician I don't like or doing as scripture says and praying for them? And so I think a lot of what I see in this story is that he saw where his true value was much more beyond gold and silver.